2, we're going to read kind of a rather long section of scripture to begin, but as you're turning there, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, kind of in the middle of your Bible. If you have a Bible like mine, it's on page 1,348, and if yours is on there, I will give you all the money that's in my pocket. No, just kidding. (laughs) But today I want to look at the wise men's part of the story and uh, why we didn't include them in the earlier Christmas uh, services the past few weeks is because really they didn't come until later on in the story. I could wait uh, another month or so and and bring them (laughs) into uh, the Christmas nativity story. Um, because it was really probably a couple of years later after Jesus was born, and we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more details. But with this being New Year's Day, I'm going to try to tie it together with what they were bringing, uh, why they were bringing their gifts, why they were coming on this long journey, and what that has to do, what, what, how, what that means for us, and then we, we'll tie it together in the end. So Matthew chapter 2 goes like this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's a key verse today. Verse 3, when, when Herod the king heard this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that's found in Micah 5. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, Let's answer the questions, uh, why and how, but first, I want to look at who. Who were the magi? Who were the wise men? Well, they were men, of course. They could have had uh, some ladies in the 
the pack that they were with. We'll talk about how large of a group of people that were with them. But they were men because if it had been wise women instead, they would have asked directions. They would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable and made a casserole. And they would have brought practical gifts, right? (laughs) Okay, I read that somewhere. But they were a group of wise men or, or magi or kings, and they were from the east. Most likely, uh, they're from Persia or, or Media, the large countries that are east of Jerusalem, but they could have been even further than that. We, we don't know exactly where they're from, just taking clues from the gifts they brought and uh, some of the traditions that have been passed down. They were probably members of a highly educated religious class. Most of professors, uh, philosophers, and scholars. Uh, They were highly educated in many fields. Sometimes they would be called king makers because they would mentor and train up succeeding kings. We find that... uh, Actually, I don't want to jump ahead. So they likely specialized in natural science, medicine, and astrology. Astrology is the study of positions of objects in the skies and the heavens with the belief that their motions affect people. So uh, these magi were fascinated by the birth of an incredible moment in which a star was forming And they follow this star, and it leads them to an incredible birth of the Son of God, the King of the Jews. But how did they know of the prophecies of the coming Messiah? How did they know the King of the Jews was to be born? In Daniel 5, and this is 500 years earlier, Daniel is put in charge by King Nebuchadnezzar, and possibly taught them the prophecies. Daniel was a man of God, right? And he studied and he uh, loved the word of God. And when King Nebuchadnezzar put him in charge, he was third in, in the uh, leadership, I guess. So he was over a ton of people. And uh, the Magi back in that time, they would, they would be called the Magi, the king makers. That's kind of where we got that term from. Uh, he would train them up and he would mentor them. And so uh, if he was a godly, he was a godly man. And so he could have taken the opportunity to share the prophecies with them, which would have been handed down and handed down uh, from Magi to Magi. Another thought is that these Magi uh, were Jews who were dispersed from Israel and went into uh, the Roman and Parthian empires so they could have had a history uh, when, when, you know, earlier in their time and moved away. Tradition says that since there were three gifts given, that there must have been three wise men. But most likely, there's a, a small amount of magi, more than three. They would have brought advisors They would have brought soldiers to protect them on their journey. 
They would have brought servants to kind of haul the food. This is a months, months, and months of a journey. Uh, we don't know how far they would have gone because we don't know where they originated from, but the shortest distance would be a few hundred miles up to 1,500 miles. And so uh, they don't have cars back then to make it in one day. They're driving, riding, uh, riding you know, maybe uh, three miles an hour, all right? And the same kind of the journey with uh, Joseph and Mary when they make the trip around. We think, oh, it probably just happened in a day and blah, 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 and you just kind of read through the story. But they're going to Egypt, coming back to Nazareth. This is months of journeys. Some scholars estimate there could have been a minimum of a few, a three is... Is, is the least there would be, but up to 100 people in this group, not just three wise men. There's probably many uh, wise men, magi, that fit that description, but then all of their assistants, okay? So that answers who. Now, the why. It's obvious that they've studied and they've prepared for this journey. It's not a short trip that they think, Hey, uh, we see this crazy looking star. Let's go check it out one day. And they just, you know, decide on a whim. No, they've, they've searched scriptures. They've uh, searched history. So they probably have other writings and other things that are helping them to see. They've maybe heard of something that's taken place since this is a couple years later. They're searching for the king of the Jews with a desire to worship him. Might I suggest that these people, watching the stars, recording their patterns, seeing something incredible that they've never witnessed before, stands out to them. They've uh, studied scripture. They've had prophecies and the promises of a Messiah be passed down through their education. And one day, they're searching the skies and they happen upon this rare sight. This star had to be a miraculous phenomenon used by God to lead them. In astronomical records, the biggest recorded event in that time frame was in 7 BC when Jupiter and Saturn aligned to appear to be a giant star but they realized it wasn't a moving star. It was the planets passing, you know, in front of one another. There was no, um, there, but that wouldn't be what led them um, along. No comet, no supernova or asteroid was recorded to have happened. This star that they observed was different uh, than the rest, and it caused them to seek it out. They see a star, um, how it led them. We don't know if, if it was like 100 feet in front of them, like the Israelites were led by uh, the pillar of fire. We don't know how it led them. Uh, one commentary I was reading said uh, they could have seen this, this uh, phenomenon and think it's, by, it's over towards Jerusalem. Let's go ask Jerusalem if they've seen it. And so in our scripture we read, they show up in Jerusalem to ask where's the, the king of the Jews because they've seen this star. And Jerusalem 
kind of the bigger city in that area. So, so uh, did the star fall, lead them all along from the east to Jerusalem, or were they going to Jerusalem to see what is this star that's happening? And then once they're in Jerusalem, then the star that they've observed leads them five miles south to Bethlehem. We aren't told what prompted them to know that this would lead them to the king of the Jews, but they see it in the sky and they decide to go that direction towards Jerusalem. A journey that would be, like I said earlier, 500 to 1,500 miles, and that's just a rough estimate. It took them weeks to make this journey, possibly months, and their desire is to find the Messiah that they would worship him with gifts. But their journey, their plan, is worship as well. Through all the studying of scripture, they, they believe God is going to send this Messiah and we're going to find it. God's done this for us. It's a promise. Let's, let's seek him out. And even the plan of the journey and all the preparation that it took, to me, that's worship. They're planning. I'm going to go and we're going to make this trip. And they probably encountered uh, different scenarios on this week's long journey. Um, but they pursued it and they kept going and they finally end up in this incredible moment where they meet their Messiah. Once in Jerusalem, they inquire of where he is. And no doubt they ask several people and again with a large group the, the Magi consisted of, word gets around quickly that there's this uh, huge <laughs> group of uh, rich, smart people. They're riding on camels and they probably were decked out just like our nativity scene uh, shows. And so they stand out for sure. And so Jerusalem, word gets around and Herod hears of it. And he inquires of his priests and his scribes and they tell that the prophecy says the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So he calls those magi in and he discusses with them the timing of the star. That's kind of where we think that it's a couple years uh, after the birth of Jesus because they've inquired of the timeline. And then uh, Herod being evil, um, he doesn't want to worship the Messiah. He's threatened by the Messiah. And he wants to find the, the baby and have him killed. And so he takes action to kill all the male children two years and younger. That's kind of where we think that it's probably a couple years, at, that Jesus is probably two years old or three years old. And the Magi uh, get the creepy vibe from Herod and God warns them in a dream, don't, don't go back, Herod's not going to want to worship him. And so they go a different way. But finally at the end of this long journey, they encounter the Son of God. Years of study, years of reflection kind of culminated to this moment. They, they walk up upon this house and they see uh, the Son of God. And they don't just kind of hand their gifts over. The Bible says they, they bow down in worship. How did they worship the Messiah? Verse 11 it tells us that after coming into the house, 
they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Literally, they were prostrated face down, and it's a prone position to indicate worship, probably laying on the ground, uh, head to the ground, hands up, and worshipping Jesus. And then they, they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How did they worship? How, was, how are these gifts worship? By looking at the specific gifts that they brought, we can gain insight into how the Magi used gold, frankincense, and myrrh as worship of Christ. Excuse me. I think everything mentioned in the Bible, even some of the uh, most boring uh, genealogy lists, um, if it's in the Bible, it means something, and we can gain something from it. God doesn't just allow any written word uh, to be in there, but it's anointed and it's inspired. And I believe that uh, that's why Matthew includes these specific gifts If you look at uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each have a different audience that they're writing their uh, Gospels to and kind of a different purpose in writing them. And Matthew, it's believed he's writing to the Jews, and so he's going to remind them of the Messiah, and he's going to remind them, you know, not just remind them, but in his teaching, in his writing, it's going towards a Jewish audience that has been raised in the... um, and the, the learning the uh, Pentateuch and learning all of the prophets, the, the prophets and all of that. So two, there's two insights that can be gleaned from uh, looking at the gifts. First, they represent the cultures and the countries that the Magi came from. They honored the king of the Jews in a way that fit their nationality And in in this way, in fact, they stood in as representatives of all the non-Jewish nations. Their their acknowledgement presaged the offer of grace to all peoples of the earth. And their gifts hinted at the coming of Gentiles to offer themselves to Christ. I got that from a commentary. Basically what it's saying is when you look at the gifts they brought, they represent uh, their frankincense is from a specific country. Uh, myrrh is from a specific country. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And we can look at that and say, well, maybe that wise man was from this country or maybe he was from that country. But they, uh, when you look at that, it's a hint towards uh, the Gentile nations. That's us. Everyone that's not uh, from Israel, that's not Jewish, we're Gentiles. And salvation, it's kind of a representation that salvation has now come for the Gentiles. The second thing we can gain from uh, looking at the gifts is that they represent who the Messiah will be, his purpose, and his role. The Magi chose to worship Christ with these gifts. And they show specifically, whether the Magi intended them to or not, they they show us who and what the Messiah would be. 
I want to look at each one. I don't think it's a stretch. I don't think it's twisting scripture to look at it in this way. Gold has been a universal sign of power. Uh, But specifically in the Old Testament, it was a symbol of kings. They were proclaiming him as king of kings. And it would be interesting to know exactly how much gold they brought and what happened to it. We don't know if it was just a little gold ring. Was it bags of gold? What maybe, uh, what was it God's way of providing Mary and Joseph money to make it on their journey as they're about to have a dream to leave and go all the way down to Egypt, uh, get out of country and, and then have the money to be able to stay down there, to survive, to go. This is hundreds of miles for their journey and back and taking months away, maybe even years. We don't know how long they stayed in Egypt. Did they give it to the poor? Did they let Jesus decide, uh, we're just going to put this in your little savings account, and when you get old enough, uh, Jesus, you can spend it. Did he give it to the poor? We don't know. We don't know. But it's interesting to speculate. Uh, They brought him gold, and it represents that he's the king of the Jews, the king of kings, and they wanted to worship him as much. Frankincense pointed to Jesus coming as our high priest. Incense was used by the high priest in worship. It was first prescribed uh, by God to Moses, and its ingredients that was used with the frankincense, and its usage, how it would be used uh, for Aaron. Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first high priest, and uh, he used it to make atonement at the altar of incense every year. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, most of the book of Hebrews is about Jesus uh, being our high priest, but here's a couple of verses that highlight that. Hebrews 2, 17, therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And in chapter 9, 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Before we uh, go to the third gift, I want to look at how Jesus was both king and high priest. I haven't been drinking enough water. I'm kind of addicted to pop, and so I drink a lot of pop to celebrate the holidays so I'm obviously uh, dried out and parched and need some water Um, most of the time in the history you can't be both king and high priest Um, but we see the first high priest in the bible was Melchizedek and he was also uh, king of Salem and the first mention of high priest Uh, is when he blesses Abraham and the Most High God who gave victory to Abraham. And in return, Abraham gave a tithe of 10% of the spoils of of the war that God helped him to win uh, through the prayers of the high priest. And so he gives 10% of the spoils of the war to Melchizedek. 
And that's kind of where we get, that is not kind of, that is where we get our tithe is that we give 10% to the Lord. So by this, Abraham acknowledged Melchizedek's high position as priest of God and as he was also the king. Years later, Abraham's great-grandson Levi was singled out by God to be the father of the priestly tribe. You remember the 12 tribes of Israel, Levi's, uh, Levi's in charge of the priesthood. And so his family, where we get the word Levites from, the Levites were uh, priests. So when the law was given on Mount Sinai, the Levites were identified as the servants of the tabernacle with the family of Aaron becoming the priests. The priests were responsible for making intercession to God for the people by offering the many sacrifices that the law required. Among the priests, one was selected as the high priest, and he would enter into the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. Thus, when Jesus is called our king and high priest, it's with reference to both of these previous priesthoods. Like Melchizedek, he's a priestly king. He's ordained as a priest apart from the law given on Mount Sinai. Like the Levitical priest, Jesus offered a sacrifice to satisfy the law of God when he offered himself for our sins. Unlike the Levitical priests who had to continually offer sacrifices, Jesus only had to offer his sacrifice once, gaining eternal redemption for all who came to God through him. Isn't that cool? The last gift, myrrh, was an odd gift. Does anyone know what myrrh, this isn't in my notes, but does anyone know what myrrh was or what it was used for? Yeah, embalming. It was an embalming fluid. It was, uh, it's a specific kind of costly perfume and it's made from rare thorn bushes in Arabia and Ethiopia. It's used as an antiseptic, anointing oil, and an embalming fluid. So when you go to a baby shower, you, gold is fine and, and frankincense, but let's not bring myrrh, okay? This gift pointed directly to Jesus' humanity and his destiny to die for the sins of mankind. But thankfully... His death wasn't permanent, for his resurrection conquered death and gave us eternal life. When they brought myrrh to him, they're symbolizing, man, we're, we're worshiping you as our Savior, pointing that, that you're, humani- you're going to die. And I don't know if Mary and Joseph understood it, they eventually did. But it was a, it's a powerful uh, thought in that gift, a little bit odd, but seeing that, man, you're going to die eventually, but your death is going to uh, set free so many uh, people who are captive, right? In their worship of Jesus, the, the Magi preached the gospel in a tangible way, whether they fully knew it or not. 
their gifts told the story of how God himself, who came down from heaven as our king, the gold, to fulfill his priestly duties, the frankincense, and eventually die for our sins, the myrrh. Jesus is our uh, high priest, and he's sitting at the throne of God, and he's interceding for you. This is not in my notes, but I was uh, called out to Dave uh, Young's house last night and uh, just had a great conversation and um, just praying over them, had communion and, and stuff like that. So keep them in your prayer. But something in our conversation, some of it is probably personal. I don't want to you know, talk through their history, but it came up how Jesus is always with us and how uh, the world we kind of put uh, our own uh, maybe requirements on salvation or we kind of uh, we put our own thoughts on who God is and uh, you know you you grow up and whatever your parents kind of learned they kind of pass down and now that I'm parent a parent I can see where you know what I tell my kids and what I teach them is that uh, from my parents, I can kind of look back and see my dad and some of the things I say. And uh, when it comes to God, sometimes we have a view of God that's human, you know, that we brought up, that God is, um, I don't know, anything, right? And we kind of have this, this thought of, you know, I'm not good enough for God or God doesn't hear my prayer or Jesus died for everybody else but not you know not for me maybe my sin is too bad for uh, Jesus or um, so so many things so many things that we could grow up uh, learning and having kind of taught even even in a church setting right Uh, that's why what I what I preach and and teach and when it was to the young people you know, check and make sure like what I'm saying is, is true and accurate. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, let's talk it out. And especially with the teenagers, though, um, they may not think it, but they, they may not express it to you, but they kind of believe whatever's told to them, right? And so if, if it's a wrong, uh, something that's wrong in their teaching, especially when it comes to God, like they live with that and they grow up with that thought. And uh, that's totally a, a sidetrack. But when we look at Jesus as our high priest, if you, can, if you can just grasp that Jesus died for you, he did all of this, everything we've talked about the past month at Christmas is for you, literally you. That if you are the only one in all of humanity he probably would have died just for you. And when we talk about him being the high priest, sometimes we think, man, we're not worthy to to even walk through these doors. Uh, To have a pastor come and pray for me? No, no, no. Or sometimes what what I get is people ask me, will you pray for me for this or for that? And not thinking that they're worthy enough to pray themselves. And ask Jesus, and I know that we need to call on the elders of the church and and have them pray, and you need other people praying in your life, but Jesus listens to you, 
And one of the more important facts in that is Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He has access to the ear of God. That what you pray to Jesus, he's turning and praying to the Father. You need to check out Bob Smith over here. Man, Bob has been praying for so long for this. God, you need to turn. You need to help him out. Man, if we could just understand the power that's in the fact that Jesus is our high priest. Great message, Pastor Kevin. Wonderful insight. This part is in my notes. Thank you. We're having a, I was having a conversation with you in my, in my studies. But you may ask, how does this apply to me on this uh, sleepy New Year's Day? And I'm glad you asked. The people wanted something different. The magi, the the wise men, whatever we want to call them, they wanted something different. The Israelites wanted something different. Jews wanted something different. Years of oppression, years of prophecy that had been handed down, promises that they had been foretold. Is it ever even going to be fulfilled? Was it just a bunch of hogwash? I, my, my grandpa was probably you know, not all with it when he was telling us these stories. Years of expectation brought excitement upon the fulfillment of it. In this moment, the fulfillment. God had prophesied something new, and now he had done it. He is making a new covenant with his people. The wise men, they understood it, and their desire for something new brought them to do something unconventional, something incredible. They said, man, let's Let's travel hundreds of miles. We got to see what this star is about. This is probably the Bethlehem star the, the prophets told us about. This is probably the moment in history. We, I've said it a couple of times, but this, this moment that we've studied the past month is the greatest moment in the history of the world when God came to earth. The wise men wanted something new. They wanted something different. They were done with status quo of what life had been like. And they thought, we're going to set out on this journey and we're going to bring these gifts to our king, to our high priest, to our savior. They were tired of their religious relationship with God and they wanted more. And they knew that the Messiah would bring that. So what about you? Do you want this year to be different? Do you want your relationship with God to be different when we're sitting on December 31st and we're crossing into January 1st? I have a lot of friends that aren't Christians on Facebook and they're they're reflecting back. How could I have done last year better? If they're thinking that, we're we're thinking that. What can our life be like? Uh, How can our life be better? How can our relationship with God be better? Do we want a stronger prayer life? Man, if I could uh, pray better, God would hear my prayer. If I could pray more, if I could learn how to pray, do we want a deeper understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is? 
Do we want to be more effective in our Christian life and more influential to our friends and to our family that don't know him? Man, the wise men wanted something different. They wanted something better. You can't expect your relationship with God to be better if you're doing the same things that you did last year and the year before and the year before. And we can't say, oh man, this year is going to be different if we continue in the same pattern. The wise men did something about it. Steve and if Kay's going to help you, if you guys could come forward, we're going to try to wrap this up. Reading in a commentary that said, the wise men did not risk their lives. And King Herod was going to do away with them, so they were risking their lives in this journey. The wise men did not risk their lives to make this journey in order to make a political move, to teach a seminar, or to advise a king. They were traveling from the far east to worship he who has been born king of the Jews. As you go through this week and your thoughts of the new year, think about what can you give the Lord in worship? And also, what can you give up in worship? As I told you earlier, prayer and fasting week is going to be next Sunday through the following Sunday, the 8th through the 14th. We're going to have a, a special service the Wednesday night, so it'd be the 11th, if you could uh, keep that in mind. We're going to have worship here, we're going to have prayer, and I, know, I, I love how our kids go over to the uh, Baptist church and some of the uh, parents help out there. Uh, so if you drop off your kids, come over here. You can leave uh, to go pick them up if you have different schedules for that night. I also know that when you get in a routine of doing other things on a Wednesday night, uh, you may have other commitments and not able to be here. But if you can make it on that special Wednesday night, we'd encourage you to come. Uh, I think I said it starts at 630. Uh, that would be in the newsletter. But what can you fast? We know what prayer is. We can pray more. Fasting at the same time. Fasting can be of food. It can be giving up a certain food. It can be giving up a meal. It could be giving up two meals or, or a day of meals or uh, certain meals throughout the week. There's, there's so many ways that you can fast. But you need to keep in mind your health uh, restrictions and things like that. It can also be uh, something that you want to fast that uh, distracts you from being close to God. If that's social media or if it's television or if it's anything that you feel, man, this is taking up more of my time than uh, what it should. Fasting isn't just giving up. You don't just say, oh, I'm going to fast lunch today. But in that moment when you would be eating, uh, spend time in the word of God and in prayer. When you would normally be uh, surfing your phone on Facebook or whatever, or you'd be watch, binge-watching your Netflix show. Uh, spend that time in prayer and uh, Bible reading. Each day of that week, I'm going to try to email in the mornings or the, maybe the night before so you have a theme of that day. We'll give some instructions of ways that you can, uh, you can kind of direct your prayers and we can be in unity. 
for this church. For this church going into the year, I've been here uh, just four months. Yeah, four months. And, uh, you know, we kind of jumped right into the Christmas season that kind of directs your path of ministry on its own. And now going into the year, what's the church going to be? What's our uh, ministry uh, focus going to be? What's our outreach focus going to be? This is all, it's a, it's a great time when we come together uh, as a church to pray together, whether we're at our homes or at, at services together, that we can uh, realign ourselves, kind of unify ourselves, that this is what our church is going to be. This is what we're going to do for 2023. So think about, that's a, that's a lot of stuff to think about, but that's our uh, takeaway from the message this morning. John Piper, I'll close with this. Would you stand and we'll close in, in song in just a moment. John Piper uh, eloquently expressed it this way. The gifts that the Magi brought are intensifiers of desire for Christ himself in much the same way that fasting is. When you give a gift to Christ like this, it's a way of saying, the joy that I pursue is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. I have not come to you, God, for your things, but for yourself. And this desire I now intensify and and demonstrate by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more, not the things more. By giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I'm saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. It's what the wise men were saying as they gave up their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh. It was their treasure not the things. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray for each person, Lord. I pray that you would help them to see in their life and in their way how they can worship you uh, in this moment and going forward this week and the next week as we focus prayer and fasting together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them right now God, show them something in their life that they need to fast. Show them something that, uh, a time frame in their day that they could give up uh, to read your word, to spend time with you, God, in prayer, uh, to pray for others, to pray for this church, for our world. Show us today, help us to think through what, what would be a tangible thing that I could do or I could give up that would help me to focus on you, God. And I pray that our, our worship would be more than just uh, words on a screen that we sing together, but our worship uh, would be for who you are and declaring who you are to us, God. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. We want to honor you as our king, as our high priest, and as our savior. So help us. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, would you just uh, place on our heart, God, how we can, we can worship you. Speak to us, Lord, as we close in song. Speak how we can come and how we can adore you. I just wanted to 
remind you, uh, if you would take a card and write down a prayer need uh, that you see in our church, in your family, in, the United, in, in North Dakota, in the world, if you would write that down and you could either leave it on the chair or drop it in the box in the back, and uh, we'd love to compile that. If you think of something during the week, uh, text it to me. My number is in the newsletter, or you can email, or whatever you want to do. Uh, we want to compile that list. And so we pray God to bless you as you go today and uh, this week. Oh, come.